following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We are really excited about this show today. We have been uh, promoting this show. We have an excellent guest today. Her name is Alana Hendricks. Alana, can you hear us? I can hear you just fine. All right, great. Well, I've known Alana for a long time, and I'm very excited about bringing you this show. This show is brought to you by Million Kids. Now, that is spelled M-I-L-L-I-O-N, Million Kids. And the reason our organization is called Million Kids is because more than one million kids are trafficked each year. That is human trafficking. And our organization combats all kinds of human exploitation. This is why this show is called Crimes Against Humanity. We deal with sextortion, child pornography, social media exploitation, and all kinds of human trafficking. You are welcome to call in on this show. Now, we know that from our followers, and by the way, we got our numbers this week. I am blown away by how many of there you are and how fast this darn thing's growing. I love it. But most of our followers we know get this show by archive because this show goes out to 170 countries. And I am always pleased when people contact me. You can do that by reaching me at opal, O-P-A-L, at me and kids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, opal at me and kids dot org. We had asked you to follow us on Facebook. Just simply go to Facebook, find Million Kids, and hit like, and you will be blown away what's in there. Our, our media marketing director is Susie Carpenter, and she posts new cases every three to four hours on there. You will learn a lot. By the way, if you want an education about human trafficking that's absolutely free, just go to our other website, which is www.exploitedcrimes.com. Hit the listen button and you will see more than 50 hours of free training on all kinds of human exploitation. And guess what? You can download it. You can share it. You can pass it around to all your friends. And if you want to, you can even get an embed code and put it on your own website. It is my desire. The reason I get up every morning is to educate the entire world for free about human trafficking. So today, I want to get deep into the concept of juvenile sex offenders and what's it all about. So if most of you saw our promo, you saw this is not for the faint of heart, okay? If you're listening to this show, I hope you're 18 or at least mature and that you have an open mind and that you're willing to listen. Now, we're going to keep it clean, but... Susie and I went to the Crimes Against Children Conference for Law Enforcement last week or a week and a half ago now in Dallas, Texas. And we sat in on many uh, sessions where they talked about juvenile sex offenders, literally child, uh, juvenile uh, pedophiles 
that were, uh, or adult pedophiles that were violating children, and then some uh, juvenile sex offenders. And we just learned so much. And it made us think about our friend Alana Hendricks because she's been working with juvenile sex offenders for a very long time. And so we wanted to have her on the show so that we can share some of the knowledge we learned. The purpose of doing this is not to scare the socks off of you, although it might in times, but it's to help you recognize if you see this happening, to be able to help people get help, or if you think that a young person in your life is being violated, to be able to assist them and help them so that they can get help and identify the offender. So, Alana, that's enough about the background of this. First, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, how you got into this. Oh, thank you, Opal. Uh, Well, who I am is a marriage and family therapist who just happened to find herself working in a field that involves young men and young women who have somehow lost their way and become sex offenders. We don't like to think that juveniles become sex offenders, but the sad fact is they do. Now, I've been working in the area of marriage and family therapy for over 15 years, and uh, in that time, I've seen a lot of different things. I haven't always specialized in juvenile sex offenders, but right now, that is one of my specialties. Uh, I also have a private practice in Riverside, California, and uh, where I work with not just juvenile sex offenders, but parenting needs of any kind. Uh, so that's that's what I'm up to these days. <laughs> well, thank you, and thank you for sharing that with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, one of the things I think we need to do before we get started is kind of define for our audience what is a pedophile. Okay. Um, a pedophile, typically we assume that a pedophile is somebody who has an interest, a sexual interest, in uh, people much younger than them. And that is correct as far as it goes, but it's, it's not a complete definition. A pedophile uh, is not necessarily uh, somebody who is evil. It's not necessarily somebody who is even aware of how deviant their interest is. Uh, oftentimes, we, we speak about the term denial, and oftentimes a pedophile is in denial about just how outrageous his or her actions are. And you'll notice so, I keep saying or her because mm-hmm. pedophiles can also be female. Yes, I, I see that in the work that we do, and it always uh, surprises people, I think. Uh, let me ask you, you say they're in denial. That includes both juvenile uh, pedophiles and adult pedophiles? Yes, typically it does. Uh, now, after a while, after they've, they've uh, been involved in this behavior for several years, it becomes harder and harder to deny what's going on. But the human mind has an amazing capacity to lie to itself. And <laughs> yes. so it, it's almost always at least a partial component. Okay. So one of the things uh, you and I had talked about is that um, so often we hear the term sociopath or psychopath. Uh, For those that are not in the business of of therapy out there, can you kind of, is there a difference? Are they the same? Are there similarities? Can you give us some insight on that? Uh, 
I can try. Uh, <laughs> the, the difference actually depends often on who you ask. Uh, in some venues, the terms are completely interchangeable. And for, for other professionals, there is a distinct difference. Um, I personally make a difference in that I tend to see the sociopath is the person who's, who's charming. They know that they're up to no good. This is, not, this is not the person who's in denial. The sociopath is the person who will charm you like anything uh, and <laughs> get you to be their best friend because they want something from you. It's, gotcha. it's not because they have something to offer you. It's because you have something to offer them, and this is a way to get it. They typically don't mind lying to you, manipulating you, uh, whatever it takes to get what they need. Now, some people will use that term interchangeably with the term psychopath. I tend to think of a person who is a psychopath as being both a sociopath but a sociopath who also has some, some uh, psychosis, some issues where they're not completely in touch with reality all the time. Mm, that's, that is really very helpful. Um, so, so do you believe then that most pedophiles are at least sociopaths? Oh, definitely. Absolutely mm-hmm. they are because at a certain point, depending on their age and experience, at a certain point, they are well aware that this is not a socially acceptable behavior, but the compulsion is so intense inside them and in their brain that they have to keep performing the behavior over and over again. Now, I heard something interesting at the at the conference that really struck both Susie and I, and they, uh, there were three psychologists there from Europe, and they all believe that you know that you have an interest in children by the time that you're 15. So is there a difference between, say, a kid who's 8 or 9 or 10 and kind of X out than a kid who is maybe uh, either in puberty or past puberty? Uh, yes, there is. The, the kid who's really young, like 8, 9, and 10, typically they don't quite realize that the interest that they have in, say, their four-year-old little sister uh, is not appropriate. At the age of 8, 9, or 10, they're probably just experimenting and just, they're having feelings they don't understand, but they're acting them out. Uh, when you get a little bit older, uh, you definitely can tell, you know, yes, I have, I have this interest. I definitely prefer eight-year-olds to someone, if I'm 15, my own age. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it is definitely, a, there's a difference. Gotcha. Well, we're coming up against a hard break here. Uh, this uh this today, our guest, this show is Exploited Crimes Against Humanity, and our guest is Alana Hendricks, and she is a licensed marriage family therapist out of Riverside, California, and we have known Alana for some time now, several years, I think, now, and uh, she is someone who specializes in working with parents and juveniles 
that have an, uh, that have sex offender tendencies or have been engaged in being a sex offender. So we really appreciate her insights. We're going to come up against a hard break here. We're going to ask you to stay with us. We're going to be right back. If you want to call into the show, it's one 472 5788 And I know that most people watch this, see this on archives, so you can contact us at opal at millionkids.org. We're up against a break here. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. We have today as our guest, Alana Hendricks. She is a licensed marriage family therapist who specializes and has for many years in helping juvenile sex offenders in treatment of juvenile sex offenders and also their family and parents because it does take more than just the offender to be able to deal with this issue. Alana, when I invited her to come on, she created for us a couple of um, example cases to kind of help us understand how this looks to a therapist, what kinds of things she encounters, and more importantly, what it teaches us about it. So, Alana, you want to uh, give us one of these examples? Sure. Uh, And I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer uh, as we 
go through this hour and we're talking about uh, some different examples, I do want to let people know uh, I am absolutely changing the names of the people that we're discussing. Uh, These are actual real clients of mine that I have worked with for some time. I have theirs and their family's permission to share this information, but even so, I'm still changing the name, and you wouldn't be able to identify them even if you knew them well, uh, and so I always like to say that so people don't worry about any, any break of confidentiality. Um, so the first example okay. that I'd like to give you uh, is a young man that I'm going to call Ryan, and uh, Ryan is a 13-year-old boy. He's from an outwardly ideal home. If you looked at this family from the outside, you would see nothing amiss. Uh, His parents, his biological parents, are divorced and have each remarried, and he lives with his father and stepmother. He typically doesn't see his biological mother very often at all. He's an A student. He attends church regularly, and he's actively involved in the youth group. He is the oldest in his family. He plans to attend a major university and become an architect. His grandparents, parents, siblings, and extended family all look up to him. He is admired and, in fact, and here's a key issue, is sometimes treated a little bit like royalty in the family because he does have such a great outward appearance. Um, Unfortunately, at age 12, he began repeatedly penetrating his five-year-old sister and a four-year-old friend of hers with a vibrator that he found in his stepmother's dresser drawer. Oh, wow. Yes. Interesting. So he he seems like the all-American kid, uh, solid, you know, goal-oriented, put together, uh, even kind of an elevated position in the family, Mm -hmm. and now he's, uh, sounds like, seriously taken a left turn here. Yes, and that's an important piece to remember is even though we're talking about juvenile sex offenders, the piece of their life that involves the sex offense isn't the only thing that's true about them. Uh-huh. Interesting. They're, now, I, I wanted to ask, I, I want to let you have keep going on here, but the fact that the home was broken, uh, is that a factor? Yes, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. That's going to play into one of the factors. Uh Um, So Ryan, as we said, had begun repeatedly penetrating his sister and then uh, eventually brought another friend into it of hers. Um, And uh, this went on for a lot of months, several months, until his sister finally... uh, became uh, just so upset that it started to become obvious that something was going on, and she eventually was able to tell her parents what was happening. Mm. Now, when this came out, the parents were horrified. They they were genuinely upset, shocked. Sure. I mean, think about how, you, sure. how would you feel if one of your children uh, was being accused of this and actually admitted, yes, mom, dad, she's telling the truth, I have been doing this. Oh, and, wow. Yes, <laughs> and that is exactly what happened. Um, the whole family is very faith-oriented, and they, they genuinely wanted to get their son the help that he needed and their daughter and, and the family friend uh, and move past this and go on with their lives. Um, he, his case was adjudicated in the courts, and that, what that means is he went to trial, 
uh, he was given, he was found guilty and given a choice of sentencing. And that choice was he could do seven years in prison, now realizing that when the offense happened, he was 12. Uh, by the time it got through the court system, he's 13. And mm-hmm. add seven years to that, he's going to be 20 at some point before he gets out of here. And so seven years in, in a prison designed for juveniles, however, with a transfer to an adult prison when he turned 18. Mm. And he would have to register lifetime as a sex offender. Wow. Now, that's his first choice. His other choice was he could do 18 months to two years in a juvenile sex offender treatment program, which involves uh, living in a group home, uh, having a very intensive type of treatment, which is where I come in, uh, and having certain structures set out for him so that he can get the help that he needs so that he can learn why he was doing this behavior, and more importantly, so that he can learn how not to continue to do it. Uh, he and his parents chose the sex offender program, needless to say. Yeah, and, really. Uh, so that, that is, uh, you know, how does a family, that just turns a family upside down. Mm-hmm. It, it does. Um, and the parents often are torn between, do we let the whole family in on this? Do we make the family a part of the treatment? Do we try to keep it quiet from the other siblings? Because sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking they don't already know, but they always do, uh, at mm-hmm. least on one level or another. Um, and so in Ryan's example, we've got a kid who, as you said, uh, outwardly seemingly perfect family life, extended family. Everybody's very faith-oriented. Everybody is highly invested in being good members of the community and the church and uh, in loving their family and in you know, being those kind of people that we all aspire to be. Uh, and yet something has gone terribly wrong. You know, and, I applaud that family for having the fortitude to stop and not just bury this. I think, I think your average person would say, don't tell anybody. That's correct, and often we run into that. And the family's response, uh, depending on how they approach it, is one of the things that makes or breaks treatment. If the family approaches this in a, in a way where they're trying to hide it or they're trying to say, well, it really wasn't that bad, which we call minimizing, uh, or they're trying to say, well, the, the victim must have done something to encourage it, uh, then there's very little hope for this child getting the treatment that they need. And I'm using the term child here, and I will use it throughout our conversation, because when we're talking about a juvenile sex offender, we have to remember we are talking about a child. They may be a teenager, uh, because typically the age that most kids start with some type of juvenile offense is 12 and 13, um, Mm -hmm. but they are still children. That's right. That's right. And uh, in fact, uh, there's more and more studies now that say that they're not really going to get all their cognitive thinking, the, the equipment they need to make cognitive decisions well into adulthood. That's correct. We're seeing uh, evidence of that more and more in research now, and that also plays into uh, a little bit of what we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, we've, we've also discovered that our brains, contrary to what we used to believe, 
uh, you know, we used to think, well, our brains are pretty much done expanding and developing by the time we're at least in our, our early teens. Uh, years and years ago, we used to think that our brain was done developing by the time we were five or six and everything was cemented at that point. Then it expanded to, well, not really till they're 12 or 13. And now what we're discovering is our brains actually continue to expand and grow and very deeply held beliefs and habits can continue to change well into midlife. Interesting. So, Lana, out of this case, then, there's some real key elements, I think, uh, that you've identified. Do you want to share those with the audience? Sure. Um, Anytime, anytime there is a juvenile sex offense that has happened, there's a number of key elements that are always present. Um, The first one is the child usually has a very significant amount of unsupervised time during the day. Yeah, that's happening more and more. It is, and and these are not irresponsible parents necessarily. Sometimes they are, but for the most part, these are parents who are working away from home. They're trying to provide uh, a, a good environment for their kids to grow up in, but because of that, they're not able to be there to supervise the children. Right. That, and, in, and that gets them exposed to all kinds of things that normally a regular child shouldn't be exposed to. Yes, which brings us to the next factor, and that's easy access to pornography. Mm-hmm. It, I, I believe that with all my heart today, with all the online gaming and all the action things that are out there, it's just prevalent. We don't. It's like we don't even recognize it's pornography anymore. We have definitely become desensitized to a lot mm-hmm. of it, and in spite of you know the parental controls that are supposedly on TV sets, and in spite of. How, how often uh, we try to be responsible and get those things set up. Uh, they don't always work, and if your kid is even halfway knowledgeable about computers, he can get past those in a half a second. Oh, and it's, uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder and harder for a parent to really be able to monitor. I'm, I uh, have that book, Seduce the Grooming of America's Teenagers, and I'm starting to write another book because we have, you know, uh, uh, encrypted messaging, encrypted chat rooms. We have live videos inside of video game chat rooms. We have disappearing video. We have live streaming now. Just this week, Facebook came out with the thing where you can be able to add in images and take images out of live streaming. You know, where our kids are going to have so, so much exposure. In fact, uh, your next point, we're up against a hard break, but your next point is that we have a culture that glorifies the loss of innocence and sexual experiences at earlier and earlier ages. I actually went to see Angry Birds just to see what little kids are seeing. Angry Birds. All throughout Angry Birds was the F word. Why do we need to teach little kids the F word? I'm sure they're going to hear it enough without seeing it in a cartoon. It just blew me away. And I think, you know, I think to myself, I think the society has lost the value of innocence. And I, I mean that with all my heart. I, I, yeah, some of you have heard me say it. My four-year-old great-granddaughter was visiting from Australia, and she says, Grandma, you know what? I said, what? She says, I know everything. 
just not all the time. And I thought, what an innocent little girl, those big brown eyes and that beautiful smile. And we must do everything we can to protect the innocence of our children. We are up against a hard break, folks. Stay with us. We are going to go into some more elements of, of juvenile sex offenders in a couple of seconds. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers, will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to exploited crimes against humanity if you have a question or comment please send an email to opal at millionkids.org that's o-p-a-l at millionkids.org now back to exploited crimes against humanity here again is opal singleton Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Today, our guest is Alana Hendricks. She is a licensed marriage family therapist who specializes in working with families and also juvenile sex offenders and the families of juvenile sex offenders. And we were talking about a uh, a case that she had, uh, you know, just given as an example here. And we were talking about some of the key elements that are always present in a juvenile sex offender. Those include a lot of unsupervised time, which is happening more and more and more today, and especially when it gets into broken homes. We see this so many times. I don't know if that was the case in her in her made-up case that she has here, but uh, 
Yes, that she did say that they, it was a broken home, but you do see that. It's, uh, you know, I see that so much in uh, my life when I, as you, many of you know, I sit with parents that are missing their kids and kids are in trouble. And so often anymore, it isn't the fight over the parents who, who gets the kids, but who has to take the kids. And that leaves the kid hanging out in the middle and also leaves the kids living on social media. And that's a problem. And along with that was the access to pornography, which is just not hard to get these days. I, I am a contender that today we don't even think of pornography as pornography half of the time. So, And then we have a culture that glorifies the loss of innocence and sexual experiences. And we're going to pick up right there, Alana. So give us some more of the key elements are in here. And then we're going to start to talk about some of the kinds of treatments for juvenile sex offenders. So what are some more of the key elements? Okay, thank you, Opal. Uh, Another key element, you know, you mentioned briefly uh, a damaged attachment, and this piece is so critical. Uh, Almost every time you look back uh, on a case and you look back at the factors that led up to the incident happening, uh, you've, you've got a child who at some time, usually early on, their attachment with one parent or both parents has been damaged. And when we say the term attachment, um, there is a very clinical use for that. And what we're talking about, uh, in terms of proper child development, there are certain things that have to happen uh, in a child's experience from birth in order for that child to grow up into an emotionally healthy adult who can love and uh, accept love and have empathy for others and not just think about themselves. Uh, When that attachment is broken, because we are hardwired to need that attachment, uh, we often gravitate towards very self-destructive things to try to get it. And this Interesting. Is- uh, so, so you're saying that normally you would attach to both parents or, or the family structure, but when that's mm-hmm. severed, then you kind of turn in on yourself and, and your needs change? Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, we talk about it uh, in psychological terms. We talk about it as having either a broken attachment or a secure attachment. Uh, There's some other terminology that goes with it, but really the secure attachment, uh, we see it starting to come out uh, in kids as young as 9, 10 months old. Let's say mom and dad are going to church and they get ready to leave their child in the church nursery. Mm-hmm. And one, often we see one of two things. Either the child is like, oh, hey, this is a cool place. I'm going to like it here and goes right to the, the caregiver of the nursery and waves bye to mom and dad. Uh, or we see sometimes the opposite. We see the kid that cannot stand the thought of being separated from mom or dad. It could be either one. Uh, and who clings to that person and cries. And Now, typically, uh, in a kid whose attachment's developing normally, uh, even if they're starting to do that a little bit, uh, if dad or mom says, okay, honey, I love you, you're going to have a great time, uh, kiss you goodbye, and we'll be back in just a little bit, and they walk away, usually that kid's going to take a couple of minutes and then regroup and be fine. The kid with a damaged attachment is going to be inconsolable for the rest of that hour or however long. Interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. 
it, it, and it definitely makes a difference in how they will feel about themselves and other people as they grow up. Uh-huh. Now, playing into that, the next thing that happens, especially when your attachment sense is damaged, is then you begin to get one of two things. Either you begin to get a sense of inferiority and I'm not worth someone attaching to because clearly my parents didn't. Uh, and I'd like to say also, by the way, this is not always intentional on the part of the parent. Uh, you can create broken attachments if one of the parents has an extended illness and has to be hospitalized for several months. It's, it can be created by a number of things that are not the fault of the parent as easily as things that are the fault of the parent. So I definitely don't want to throw mom and dad under the bus here because that's <laughs> not necessarily the case. Sure, sure. Uh, but life happens, yeah. Yes, life happens, and sometimes, uh, you know, there's fallout from that. Um, ideally, uh, a parent who understands that and is on top of it then takes uh, remedial steps to try to undo the damage uh, if we know that it's, that it's happened or that it's at risk of happening. Uh, now, one of the second things that they, the broken attachment can lead to, uh, as we we're talking about, that sense of inferiority and I'm not worth loving but the opposite of that, which is always the case with sex offenders, is I have a sense of superiority and entitlement. Interesting. Wow. And yes, and that superiority means that my needs are more important than your needs. Therefore, if I have a need and I need to use you in some way or manipulate you in some way in order to get that need met, that's fine. There's no problem with that because I am the one whose needs must be met. Uh-huh. And if we look back at our example, remember what we said, that he was the oldest in the family and he was so successful in school and basically socially in general, his parents and grandparents and his siblings all treated him a little bit like the king of the family. Uh-huh. His, his uh, needs were always looked after. And, and that's, uh, maybe I should say here that, that we're analyzing after the fact. That doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean the family's made a mistake or any of that kind of thing, but it is one of the factors that you see in dealing with juvenile sex offenders. Yes, absolutely. And often, uh, almost every family does this to one degree or another. Uh, uh-huh. It's not intentional, usually. Sometimes it is. I know, I know. You know, my mom liked my brother better. That's, if, if you've been around as long as you and I have, uh, there was that old uh, comedy act, uh, The Smothers Brothers, uh-huh. and that was one of the things that uh, the, one of the boys used to say, well, Mom always liked you best. I know. <laughs> and psychologists have, for years, you know, that's one of the things that we get hammered about is just the thing of, yeah, you always have to blame the mom. Um, and, and so I definitely try not to do that because this is not a matter of finding out who's at fault here. This right. is actually a matter of finding out what went wrong and what do we do to make it right so that we can get on a better path. Uh, but, but a juvenile sex offender, they will become manipulative and they will see their needs as being superior over other people. And I, I do, I do see that in the cases that you read, and uh, and even the cases that I saw at uh, Crimes Against Children is they did not see their behavior as being abnormal or even, uh, you know, incorrect in any way. It was I deserve this. This is mine. 
Exactly. And that is one of the things that's important to, to note because every kid, well, in fact, everybody, to some degree or another, has the capacity to be manipulative. It's uh-huh. sort of a survival skill, but it's the gr- degree to which that's taken and the intensity of damage that the person is willing do, to do to someone else that causes it to slip over that line from just normal behavior into something that's really pathological. Mm-hmm. Now, are there often, is there alcohol or drugs involved? We know that there's some pornography involved. Is there alcohol and drugs or is that not a factor? Well, it depends. Now, that can be a factor, and there are a number of cases that it is, uh, but it doesn't have to be. And uh-huh. what happens is we, when we uh, get uh, any kids in for treatment for this, we absolutely screen them for alcohol and drug use and abuse as well uh, because if the offense was committed, while that child was using drugs or alcohol, then his treatment is its going to be similar to what we would do otherwise, but it's going to take an additional turn in it. Gotcha. There's going to be something to, that has to incorporate uh, dealing with a drug and alcohol issue because that's one of their triggers usually. Okay. So I learned in, uh, at that conference that the number one factor when a predator picks a victim is availability, then vulnerability. So when you have a juvenile sex offender, does the offense usually start within the family, like siblings, or uh, is it more like they go on social media and find a total stranger or somebody at school? How, how does that work? Well, that's an excellent question because once we know how they pick their victims, uh, that helps us a great deal in learning steps we need to take for prevention. Uh, because ideally, that's what we want. We, yeah, we want to work with treatment once it's happened, but more importantly and more, I guess, maybe more to the forefront, we want to, um, we want to prevent it from happening. Uh-huh. So, sure. yes, I mean, in, in our case with, with Ryan that we're talking about, what could be more available than the five-year-old little sister you've been told to babysit? Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, so that's, definitely that's an important factor is the availability because there's, there's somebody instantly right there who's basically a captive audience. Yeah, availability and then vulnerability with being left alone. Uh, so that that, that uh, they have the opportunity to do that. Well, we're starting to come up against our break here, folks. Uh, our guest today is Alana Hendricks. She is a licensed marriage family therapist here in Riverside County and uh, in Riverside City. And we are talking about juvenile sex offenders and how all of this works, and more importantly, how to recognize it, how to help the family, and how to help the victim. So at the next section, we're going to talk about the effective treatment for juvenile sex offenders and what can be done. We're up against a hard break here, so we're going to ask you to stay with us. We'll be right back. If you want to write to me, you can do that at opal, O-P-A-L, at meandkids.org. We'll be right back. See you in a minute. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Seduced, The Grooming of America's Teenagers. It's the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. This show is brought to you every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here in beautiful Southern California. But it does go out to 170 countries, and we'd invite you to go on to exploitedcrimes.com. You can look at all of our archive shows, including this show, and you can share it. You can download it. You can share it with all your friends. You can post it on your website. You can even contact me at opal at millionkids.org. M-I-L-L-I-O-N, opal at meandkids.org, and ask for an embed code so that you can put this on your own website. And it is my passion, my desire to educate the entire world about all kinds of human exploitation. Well, our guest today is Lana Hendricks, and she is a licensed marriage family therapist that specializes in working with juvenile sex offenders. And we have been talking about uh, a an example here of what a case might look like and what the elements are in working with sex offenders. What we'd like to do now is talk about the effective treatment for sex offenders so that you know how to help people get help. Uh, Alana, can you give me some ideas of some of the elements of an effective treatment for sex offenders? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And this is so critical because the fact is, unlike adult uh, sex offenders who typically don't respond well to treatment because the behaviors are so cemented in, uh, juvenile sex offenders can very often be helped. There's a high percentage of success rate when the treatment is done effectively and when the whole entire family gets involved in it. That's good news. Good news. Yes, it is good news. Um, These kids have not completely cemented in their choices, and their personalities are not completely done growing. So the the first thing, though, and this is true of any 
uh, treatment venue whatsoever. You know the old joke that, you know, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. Um, <laughs> that's actually true. Uh, you won't make much progress unless you want to change. And my grandfather had an old saying, uh, you're all familiar with saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, that's true. And so often we tend to leave it there and throw up our hands and say, okay, there's nothing we can do. It's all up to them. But the reality is that as a therapist, part of my job is to figure out what what this kid needs, what this family needs in order to want to change. And so my grandfather's saying used to be, well, yeah, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but you can salt his food. (laughs) And the reality is, as a therapist, as people in the community who are trying to help these kids, our job is to find out what kind of salt makes this kid tick, what kind Mm -hmm. of elements does this child and this family need in order to help them affect a really permanent healthy change and so the first element that we need is just simply a family who gets it in terms of their own involvement in the behavior and their own culpability because nothing Mm -hmm. happens in a vacuum interesting okay these children don't one day wake up and say gee i think i'll sex offend today Uh, (laughs) something's going on that has prompted that. And so we need the family to, not, not that we're trying to blame the family, but everybody plays a role. And so we need the family to come into treatment with a willingness to look at areas that may be blind spots for them that they may not be seeing. So we have to look at that, and we have to be able to look at it openly and honestly. And also, by the way, and this is a hard one for all of us, non-judgmentally. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, that's people difficult. People do not change it is so under difficult. judgment. Yeah, people mm-hmm. do not change under judgment. Uh, and we also have to understand, as I'd said earlier, this is not the only thing that's true of this child. This is not the only thing that's true of this family. There's lots of other stuff going on that may be really wonderful, amazing, good things happening. This is just one element of their life, and I'm not trying to minimize it because it's a horrible thing, but it's also not the only thing that's true. And uh-huh. so the other thing we need to have is an offender who's able to face the truth about what they've done, and especially with regard to the damage that they've caused to the victim and the victim's family. Yes, I think that is so, so important. If, you, if they can't acknowledge that, then, then you really, I don't, you know, I think, I think that's just the biggest goal of all. Yes, absolutely, because, for one, they come into this with a damaged sense of empathy. Mm-hmm. If they had empathy, they wouldn't have offended in the first place because they would have mm-hmm. already understood what, what the consequences were going to be for this, this victim. Uh, and so that is very, very important. Um, and, and one thing I want to say, just by, just by way of uh, clarification, you know, a lot of times people assume that therapists are here to just make you feel better, and we're here to give you all these warm fuzzies and say, you know, it's going to be okay. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get you through this, and it's going to be okay. And you need to know, most really good therapists don't do that in the first session. I want, when I meet with that family and that child for the first time, I want to let them know that, you know, do you realize how dire your situation is? 
you may have to register as a lifetime sex offender if this treatment doesn't go well and you're not successful in it. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think responsibility is one of the most important. It's, it's amazing to me. I, in a world of social media, our kids just have so little responsibility for the consequences. This is so true, Opal, and not only that, we are in a society now where we are making concerted efforts to take away their responsibility. Mm -hmm. What happens at school when a teacher has to discipline a kid? Well, immediately mom or dad calls the, the principal. That teacher disciplined my kid and humiliated them, and that should never have happened, and my kid probably didn't even do it. And if he did, I'm going to support mm-hmm. him in it. <laughs> they and, didn't know my mom. <laughs> yeah, well, mine either. But, uh, but unfortunately for a lot of younger parents now, because that's what they had a little bit different version of it, but that's right. what they had, so they don't know a different way to parent, and uh, that, that may be the topic for another show, is, is how our parenting styles may need to swing back a little bit into developing a bigger sense of responsibility in our children. Uh, I think I think, uh, I think we probably do need another show on this. We're just about out of time, but it looks like to me a family who gets it offender who's willing to face the truth, uh, a significant amount of, of recognition, repentance, remorse, uh, so a lot of therapy, significant structure, and uh, and like that are probably the keys to a good treatment. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and the one, well, two quick things I would add to that. One, 100% accountability for what oh, they've yeah. done and their actions going forward. And then all of that, though, has to be bathed in a lot of love and affection. And yes, we hate the crime. We do not hate you. That's so important. So important. Well, Alana, I really appreciate you coming on as a guest to our show. If our uh, audience wants to reach you, do you have an email address or something that we can give them? Or do you want them to reach you through me and kids? You know what? For right now, I would like them to reach me through Million Kids. Uh, And the reason for that is I'm in the process of putting a few things together, and so that may change over over the next few weeks. But uh, but in the meantime, yes, I would love to hear from people, and uh, Million Kids is the best way to get me. All right, great. So if any of you want to ask questions, get connected. If you know, first of all, if you know of a case where a child is being violated, Dial 1-888-373-7888. That number is 1-888-373-7888. In the meantime, if you want to reach Alana Hendricks, A-L-A-N-A, Alana Hendricks, you can reach me by call uh, by emailing me at opal, O-P-A-L, at meandkids.org, and I will forward your messages over to her. Alana, we thank you so much for sharing your expertise. We are going to have to do this soon. Again, because we haven't covered all of it or even a small portion of it, and I think our audience will want to know. So thank you for joining us today. We thank each and every one of you for following Me and Kids. You can follow us at Me and Kids on Facebook, and you can get over 50 hours of free training at ExploitedCrimes.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week.